Author of Hidden History, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963, and Survival of the Richest, Donald Jeffries separates the real from the unreal. Fact from fiction. Fact from fiction. Reverse engineering our manufactured reality. And now, from just outside the swamp-infested Washington, D.C., this is I Protest with Donald Jeffries. And welcome to I Protest. It's Donald Jeffries coming to you as I do every Friday this time from just outside the swamp-infested Washington, D.C., as the announcer kindly informed us. Those of you who used to listen to me on TFR um, remember uh, the charmingly disorganized way the show ran sometimes. And we've, in fact, we're going to take a phone call from our guest right now on the air. I knew this would happen. Hold on one second. Yes, Mary, I'm live on air. So what, what's going on? You can't click the link? At least three minutes. I'm sorry? I have to enroll in the Chrome download. So excuse me for being late. I'll be a few minutes doing that. Okay. We'll look for you. Thank you. Okay. That's live radio, folks. That was Mary Maxwell, who uh, we've come to know and love. She's a just very interesting person. She loves coming on the show. And uh, she always has something unique to talk about. And hopefully that'll be the case today. So in the meantime, I'll say hello to the people. And you too. Deborah Wheeler, love to see uh, Love. Hearing from you, and you're, I, I tell my dog Riley all the time that uh, we have someone, a listener that actually wants me to give you a big hug. But if you knew my dog, she's a diva. And uh, she, as I said, she has a very strange combination of being clingy and aloof at the same time. You'd have to, you'd have to meet her to know. So she's not real easy to hug, believe it or not. And Deborah also says, happy Father's Day. Thank you. Looking forward to that in a couple of days. Good to see uh, Kat Goya. I hope everyone else there's a happy and safe Father's Day. Yes, we're hoping to. Always look forward to that. T. Jordan says Daniel Ellsberg, RIP. Yes, Daniel Ellsberg died 92. He lived a good life. And uh, I've, oh, I, you know, when people talk about him, talk about the the Pentagon Papers, uh, you know, the Pentagon Papers was nothing compared to a lot of the things they suppressed. And, uh, it's one of those fake uh, freedom of the press things that the left likes to run. But uh, he also was a member of the CFR. And there is Mary Maxwell. There she is. Good. And look like you have somebody on camera with you. Am I supposed to do something? I'm pretty stupid. No, you're fine. Mary Maxwell, welcome back to the show. Fan favorite. Um, we'll talk about whatever you want. She's very knowledgeable on everything. In the past, we've <laughs> talked about all, <laughs> all manner of subjects. So, Tell us, Mary, what's on your mind today and what you'd like to talk about. Okay. There's a new case. Well, it's new to me, and it's pretty new, in Australia. And as you may know, if you hear me say something like, our prime minister, you say, we don't have a prime minister. Um, it's because my mind has floated across the ocean, and really half the time I don't know where I am. So having spent most of my life down under, uh, I'm here at the moment in New Hampshire. Now then, the case is coming out in the Queensland court. And the first thing I need to tell you is there are two cases. The one I'm working on is called Pridgen and O'Day. And I am allowed to talk about that at least to a certain extent. Okay. But there's another one that I am not even allowed to say the name of it. As far as I'm aware, some of these suppression orders are not kosher, but Still, 
one tries to obey rather than be handcuffed. You know? So <laughs> it was a, a show on Archie Bunker, remember? All in the Family, many oh, years ago. Sure. When, when Edith was pretty young looking, because I checked it out the other day, it's still on video on YouTube. And her husband was kind of yelling at her as usual. Archie. Yeah. Archie was saying, <laughs> I've heard that story about the cling peaches so many times. Don't say it again. <laughs> so the next time she had to refer to that subject, when she came to the offending word, she said, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> So I want you to know that in regard to the other family's case, not the prisoner day, but the other family, I am calling it the cling peaches case. Okay. And when Sounds I good. say that, you know what I mean. <laughs> okay. Now, the case that I'm in was um, brought into, was, was crystallized by a book written by the defendant. And this the book is called Everybody Knows. And it's rather sarcastic. On the other hand, it's rather, um, he's very precise. And if you'll excuse me for a minute, I want to put my telephone into my Faraday cage. Not the Go ahead. Go ahead, Mary. $17. Millions of people are watching. You just go ahead. It's okay. <laughs> $17 at Amazon for okay. something. You can put your little phone in and, you know. Sure. Okay. So in this book, he is able for the first time, and it's, uh, I want to keep stressing to everyone how marvelous and unique this is. He was able to pin down the naughtiness of the court. Now, most people think, oh, the courts will, you know, side with the mafia. People have a general sense of the fact that every court does not deserve your full admiration and love but he got it because he was the defendant and he had every reason to work hard at making sure that they didn't accuse him of something so here's the, the deal uh, you said i can do what i want so i'll go back in time a little do bit it to us. you've already you've already got two people praising you under john lawler says to give a Please, hug. i can't a, a i can't get, how can i give her a hug i'm no closer <laughs> to you to her than you are i would yeah, if i could yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, John. Mm -mm -mm -mm. <laughs> now, um, this in my other country, Australia, we have what is known as a royal commission, and the closest thing in this country might be the 9/11 commission or the Warren Commission on JFK. Mm -hmm. That is, they set up something fancy, and nothing happens. But this one, something did happen. So they called forth anyone who had suffered within an institution. Anyone who had suffered child sexual abuse. So you could be 65 years old now, but it happened when you were 10. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now you could imagine that the Catholic Church came in for some of that. The Boy Scouts, the Navy. I'll discuss the Navy case later. And the point was, those kids got to tell their story. And some of them was extremely touching. Like one little boy, and this was one of the Navy people. Uh, these are called cadets in Australia. You're only high school age, but you're trying out Navy. And you can also try out working for General Electric or whatever during high school. You're known as a cadet. We, we never had that, did we? I call them apprentices, but I don't think we had the cadet business. Other than when you might enter the army and you're young, mm -hmm. but still over 17 and a half. So these kids were young. And this guy who was giving his witness, his testimony in this special Royal Commission Court 
um, he said it was so cruelly treated. And he went home, finally got up the courage to tell mum, and she didn't believe him. So if the Royal Commission, which went for four years in Australia, 19, 14, 15, 16, and seven, not 19, 2014 to 2017, and it was uh, broadcast, you could see it in your living room. And those kids came in and if nothing else, they got to say it and be believed because there were so many mm -hmm. confreres saying it. And the judge, Mr. McClellan or McClennan, I forget, but he was very good. I mean, he showed respect. Well, so, sum, sum up what the, what the case is about for, for people, because this, this is about child sexual abuse or child sex trafficking, right? Okay. And by the way, is my voice loud enough? Yes, it's fine. Okay. It's fine. Okay. Um, there's quite a few things going on that involve children and sex. And one of them, as we all know recently, is trying to get kids legally and socially, culturally involved in sex. This is quite foolish because if you look at any other species, uh, the young attain their maturity at a certain point. It comes to them biologically. And what would be the reason to go younger than that? I think the reason for that episode and possibly for generally speaking, the whole range, a very wide range of things going on with kids and sex dates back to at least 1928 when we see H.G. Wells, he wrote a book called The Open Conspiracy. He must have been an insider or at least a servant of the insiders. He was to have told of the new world order in a pleasant way, so make you feel happy if these things happen. And one of them was the destruction of the family. He didn't use the word destruction. He just made it sound like, yeah, the family's old fashioned. We don't want that. We want something better. So of the three institutions that he advised us to get rid of, we've done a pretty good job of them. The family, religion, for example, through the pedophile priests, which I think were planted. I think that was all part of the game to make people lose their interest in going to church. And the third thing was nationalism. And of course, you're not supposed to be national anymore. You're supposed to go to World Cup and World Soccer and you know, think of, forget nationalism. Anyway, those things were uh, predicted to be on the cards. So maybe that stands behind some of this rustling up of people to get a new view of children and sex. Another thing that people say is that it's worth money, and it is in three different ways. In other words, therefore, people will participate in it. The adults will get the system working quickly because their wallet will get fatter. And one of the money ways is simply selling or renting the children out as prostitutes or, and this is in that same category, using the kids for kiddie pornography and even snuff films. Oh, please. Oh, that's the worst please. part. Yes. yes. I mean, what kind of person wants to see Well, something? that's, you know, Mary, that's what people think uh, that, you know, when they talk about adrenochrome, yeah. you know, the, 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 that the reason why they like to terrify and ultimately kill kids is because apparently that adrenochrome is released. The more, the more terrified the child is, the more adrenochrome, I don't know how it's released, but this is what they get. So that would be, 
the twisted satanic objective there would be if you killed them, you'd get the most adrenochrome possible, I guess. I, you know, who knows how these people think? Uh, by the time they're dead, I don't know if you would. <laughs> I don't want to be acting I, up. No, the I, FDA I, here. <laughs> all I know about adrenochrome is what I read on conspiracy sites. Other okay. than that, I have no experience with it. I must say that I go in for many conspiracies, the big false flag ones, of which Boston Marathon is my speciality. But of the adrenochrome, I don't yet have enough in my own research to support it. I'm not opposing it. It's probably true, but I, I can't be one of the ones who signs onto it because I don't know enough about it. Well, yeah, and, we don't know, but we just what we hear. But like in this, in this case, you're talking about it. And we're trying to, so, so the people, and I know you're doing a great job. You're going at your own pace and everything, but uh, so just for people, just for clarity, what is this case about? What is involved? Who who are the people that are doing it? To what children? And uh, okay. what, do you think it's for child sex trafficking? What's what's going on here? Shall I finish my little story about the money? Sure. If you, <laughs> I just want to make sure you get to the point so people know exactly what the case is you're discussing. All right, I'm going to do what you suggested, but then would you remind me later? Say, Mary, what about the money? Thank you. Yes. I'll okay. In Australia, there was a man, a doctor, who was complaining, as we all do, about the child abuse and particularly the kind that comes through the courts. But I'll just tell you that a little bit later because it's a whole <laughs> sphere unto itself. But he saw that courts were awarding to the abusive father the very child that the mother had gone to the police about to say, hey, help. And instead of helping the mother, they do something else. So he made a fuss and he even started, even though he's an operating uh, physician, he started with his friend Patrick, the Anti-Pedophile Society of Australia. And that was in a year, I think, I'm just going to guess, 2008, when they had what, what we call, with our prime minister, a double dissolution. So that it, there would be many openings in parliament that year, and maybe his party could even get one seat. That would be enough to have someone in there that could use parliamentary privilege to spit out the story of what was going on, especially with the courts. So this man in the year 2018 got arrested himself. His name is Russell Pridgen and his pal, uh, Patrick O'Day, and a certain other person, but now we, we won't say her name. Okay, now they were seen to be operating as a syndicate. There was only three kids involved in this whole story that they were involved with, but it was made to look in the newspaper, of course. Rupert Murdoch, thank you so much. It was made to look like they reached out almost worldwide to send children from here to there. Now, Don, I'm going to interrupt myself when I have a memory all of a sudden of a thing that I probably wouldn't otherwise um, plan to put into this, but I'll just tell you about it. Am yeah. I allowed to do that? You, uh, you, you know I'm going to let you do whatever you want, Mary. Go okay. we, I love you. Do what you want. All right. <laughs> so I had a friend in the year, now that I remember, in the year 2010, a girl named, you know, girl. We, we oldies like to say girl, okay? So this is a girl. Her name is Kathleen A. Sullivan. She was a very abused child. And by the way, her father was a body man, same as my pal in Adelaide, Australia, Rachel. Her father was a body man. And that is 
we leave, let's say the CIA kills somebody in Germany or Uganda or whatever, mm -hmm. you can't have anybody find that body later, that's gonna cause problems. So the body man goes out, chops it up, puts it in acid, whatever. Oh, sorry, what a horrible getting job. I'm getting back to shit again. Yeah. Oh. Now, my, in this year, Kathleen organized, she had 14 members of a committee. She called it a Truth and Reconciliation Coalition, not committee. Mm -hmm. And it was to deal with this stuff. And she invited three laypersons, myself and two academics, and nine grown-up suffered kids of which she was one. And um, on that team was a girl named Trish Fotheringham. And I can say anything I like now because she is deceased. I loved her and she was a girl from Canada. She turned 60 last year and then she died. That's another story. But Trish gave me the most interesting little snippet about her life. When she was 12, most, many of these kids in the MK Alto get recruited really young, maybe even at birth, but it, you know, at of least course, yeah. before kindergarten. And she was recruited and played different parts because she had different people in her mind. And when you're with one of your people in your mind, you don't know about all the others. You can only be one at a time. So one of hers was to act like she was an official at 12 years old. And she said she would dress very formally so that it made her look official and it made her feel official. And she would escort children onto a boat and some of them would be crying. Well, they'd probably be crying as from where they came from and maybe under difficult travels. And she would put them on a boat near Vancouver, somewhere on the west coast of Canada, maybe not Vancouver. And she said that the officers on board, and there was a big ship, were Chinese. And she said they were in Navy uniform. A storm warning for you, Doctor. Yeah, I just 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 to let people know, and you too, Mary and Tony, if you're listening to, in case we lose power, because I live in one of the wealthiest counties in the United States, but of course it has third world power grids, so uh, a strong wind knocks us out. So if I'm suddenly not here anymore, they didn't get me. Uh, Vince Agnelli's storm, which is blowing my way, got me. So just we don't case. know that they didn't get you. Huh? That's true. That's true. It could they could be under cover of storm, so that may be the cover story. But they could have made the storm for that purpose. Okay. Oh, yes. Am I going too far? Oh, oh, and I and actually have somebody here. Uh, Chris Graves joins us. So, uh, oh, now he's gone. Okay, I thought he was coming. I told him I might need him. I thought he wanted to come on and talk to you, but now he's popped out. So, okay, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry, Trish. She said that she was helping kids, and she said those kids had come from the east. The, East Coast, they were not locals. <clears throat> now this is early trafficking because if she was 60 a couple of years ago, she, she was born actually in 1960, she was 12. We're talking 1972 in Vancouver and she said that the men on board were <clears throat> like Chinese Navy men. However, she thought it was possible that their costumes were fake and therefore they're not military, but she's pretty sure they were Asian. and. So the kids went off with them, but probably they also brought other kids over. I don't know. Uh, now, why did we get on to Trish, sir? Can you remember? <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying. I'm, try I'm trying right. to get to the gist of it. Okay. All right. All right. I'll get back to the um, the case. So, I guess I was saying they tried to make my friend. I'll call him my friend Russell Pridgen, 
looked like he was the big, they even called him the kingpin. <clears throat> kingpin, he was trying to help one mother with her two daughters, and his friend Patrick was trying to help one little boy. Both cases, the father was the abuser, and they, both cases, the, the mom and the grandmom wanted to escape with their children, which is perfectly all right, if you ask me. It's not all right not to. And <clears throat> for their helping of those mothers, one mother, one grandmother, they um, were arrested. Okay. This was October of 2018. From that moment, of course, they lost their jobs. They also, the two men, they had to wear ankle bracelets, which is not nice. And you have to sit near a charger for hours every day, to, as if, you know, as if MIT couldn't come up with something like a watch or a ring or, you know, something small. Oh, no, we right. have to let it be an ankle bracelet. So they had all these punishments put on them and many more, such as their Russell's dog dying. That is classic. That is diagnostic, I can tell you. And um, for the last oh, five years now, well, this October coming, it'll be five years, during which time they were hated by many of their neighbors because the newspaper gave full coverage to the kingpin. And you know, if you're trafficking children, you're probably wink, wink, one of that type yourself. <laughs> and he lost his medical license and so forth. So that was all quite difficult, but the case finally came up. And his book, he wrote, he wrote it to, everybody knows, he wrote it in order to tell the judge, a judge, but very politely, of course. He says, if you continue to, what is the word, punish me or find me guilty or whatever, then you will be opening, you're opening yourself in the court to full display because I know what's going on. <clears throat> Let's see how he put this. So, so the guy that wrote the book, the guy you're talking about that was disbarred, this is a doctor who was a whistleblower who was trying to expose wrongdoing and he lost his medical license? Of course. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> he didn't lose his life. We should be amazed at that. Okay. Um, so he found, and he has two friends whom he doesn't want to name, it's, it's not me, two lawyers, like layperson lawyers in Australia. One of them represents mostly Aboriginal people, because he's Aboriginal, and the other man it goes by the name of Pastor, and the judge said, you're not a real pastor, and he said, you're not a real judge. But, um, <laughs> but the point answer. is, what makes a pastor? He, he is caring for people all the time, full time, so I guess he's a pastor. And th they both dug in quickly and helped him find all the little things. But actually, he could have reached for Mary Maxwell's book, which is called Reunion, Judging the Family Court. And that's himself. And this was published by me in 2019. And I tried to wrap up the whole story of this court handling of the giving children to the abusers. And um, it's called Reunion because I was urging people, somewhat copying a Kansas City committee that whereby the, the mothers, the complaining mothers got together and they asked for something like the district attorney to give them some approval and they would sit at meetings once a month, write up cases, 
and handed to the judge. Now that's as far as I heard, as far as it went. But I went further and said, uh, made up this little story. And I said, one day protective parents stop, protective one is the one it, who's reporting that her kid was hurt. They stopped tolerating judicial kidnap. They arranged to have a reunion with offspring as soon as humanly possible. For many, that could be within weeks. They gathered in cities and issued shits to parents who met basic criteria for getting their child back. Shit holders could go to the clerk of the civil court and obtain an injunction, well, you could try, for the return of the child. A coterie of parents would supervise each handover. State authorities would be given a list of officials to arrest if necessary. The passcode for imbuing citizen, citizens with the right to issue chits was, God is not mocked. So it's been around since 2019, but because I'm well, let, let's 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 try this just to summarize because this is obviously an interesting story just so for so people understand this is a uh, looks like a massive scandal <clears throat> involving young children uh, and it looks like a lot of powerful people involved it's a familiar story we see it in our country and all over the world a doctor whistleblower tries to blow the whistle on it and is uh, looks like he's you know retaliated against in the manner of what happens to all whistleblowers. And so at this point now, is, is the media portraying it uh, as they did with the Martin preschool scandal and so many others where they're basically on the side of the of the accused or, is, or are they investigating this or just is it just left to Mary Maxwell to do her investigating? Of course, they're not investigating. Are you kidding? <laughs> Rhetorical question. <laughs> Back to the you mentioned McMartin. It is my understanding that Rudy Giuliani a.k.a. Ray. Do you call him Rudy or Ray, Julia? Uh, Rudy, I think, is... Yeah, person. I thought for a while he was known as Ray. But anyway, we know who he is. Yeah. <laughs> the mayor of the century, oh yes. And he was DOJ head of the criminal division, see, in 1985 or whatever that McMartin preschool was. And yeah. the mothers and all had a really good case going there was a woman named Jackie. Did, were you? Yes, I, I wrote about the Jackie. Yes, she's the, she's the one. She ended up dying suspiciously, right? The one that yes, first. Yes, of course. Yes, yes called, claimed to be an alcoholic. I wrote all about it in Hidden History. She Go, was pretty close to getting some success. And then Giuliani from DOJ simply ended the case. Oh, don't you love him? Okay. Yeah. Now, I'm going to read out something here in a minute. I wrote up recently, and I understand it's making the rounds on Twitter or whatever, about these mothers who, you give me one second to walk to the other table where I have other papers I can get to. Okay. okay. <laughs> Folks, we're waiting for Mary Maxwell, who is a beloved researcher. John Lawler has already professed his love for her in the, in the chat. Lots of fans. <laughs> All right. So, I am saying that there's a five-pointer. Any of these mothers who's going through this thing, and occasionally it's a father. I know one father in Australia whose wife decided to pimp the girl out. And so he went to complain to police. And all the stuff that they do to the dear moms, uh, 
Mary, you have such a lo a lovely personality. You know, you're you're just such a sweet lady that you can say pimp the girl out, and it you know it, it doesn't even seem like a bad thing when you say it. Yes. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Why can't I find this? I can pimp girls out, but I can't I can't run a filing system. It's just not in my blood. <laughs> I, uh, so there were five pieces to it, and. Later on, we'll locate them in there, but at least three of them are this. The mother has never known that the husband did this, but let's say she comes home from work early and by God, she sees it. She calls a hotline or whoever you can call. Big mistake. Girls do not call the hotline. From that moment, she is a, you know, a sitting duck for all these things to happen. First, people will immediately show up at her house from CPS, they have different names, mm -hmm. Department of Child Safety, Child Protection Services. That's another story, but I know you'd like me to stay online here. But <laughs> those organizations are not really government. That's fascinating. Well, and we can go to that, but let's, let's just yeah, 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 yeah. get okay. the story first. Get the scandal, because it sounds really <laughs> juicy. <laughs> okay, so the five things are the mother will she'll make the call, but she will then be, and the kid is taken, but for that moment, she might think, good, they're, they're helping me and someone, they're putting the kid somewhere. And she then is told to go to hospital and get a quick check on her brain. And even there, although it's humiliating and certainly not what she expected, I guess she could, she's ignorant now, right? She knows of no other person that had this happen to, so she's following it through. She might think, well, I guess it's reasonable. They want to find out if I'm making it up or something. Okay, that's the, that happens to her. The next thing that happens to her is she, the husband or ex-partner, whatever, he marches into court. Now, that's the last thing a man would do. You would think if um, the he knows he's been accused. She caught him in the act. He saw her pick up the phone and call the hotline. You'd think he might run to his cousin's house and hide or something. No. About a day later, he shows up at a courthouse asking for custody of the child. Now, the fact that he would have the balls to do that makes me think he was somehow trained in advance of the urgent moment, and he knew to do that. Because as soon as he does it, several other things click into place. One, the case is called sub judici. You know how the word prejudice is pre judici yes. J mm -hmm. well, same thing. It's sub subjudice. Subjudice. And they I think they call it sub judici. And the any further effort she makes from that moment to get the kid helped or to get the husband arrested or get evidence collected, the cops have been told to say we cannot enter the case in any way because it is subjudice. So the very fact that the dad put his name somewhere on a piece of paper in the court means the court is in charge and the cops won't deal. I kid you not. Well, well, this is if you watch my show, I've had a few shows recently on uh, dealing with child protective services. And this is very it sounds like this is Australia's version of that. But it's the same thing. The system works against the interests of the parents the cops are the cops are not are not helping the parents the courts aren't nobody seems to social workers the media 
all it's left with is the Mary Maxwells of the world to try to ferret, ferret this out to do the investigating that the mainstream media won't do. So you're 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 interested in this. This is your old country, Australia. So you're 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 doing more research on it. You talked about that's I guess that's one case with a woman and a man, but I, I assume that this is happening. Guys, I'm trying to wrap my mind around it. This is so these are mothers who are trying to get their kids back when they've lost them so they know where they're at I'm just, or, or they've been lost to child protective services where how did they lose the kids i can name two women whom i've met who have never seen their kid again since that day and that was like 10 years ago so oh how is that they have a right don't they mm -hmm. well, yeah you're gonna have rights but if a court won't agree on your mm -hmm. having them the right then the court forbids you to touch the child oh we talked about the five things that will happen. One of them is suddenly the mom is accused. And this is standard. Maybe, tell me if you had this when you interviewed your other speakers. The mother is told that she is doing a, two bad things. One, she's depriving the kid of the father's love, or maybe she was in the past, by mm -hmm. talking bad about him. Right. But she didn't talk bad because until that moment when she saw what was happening, she wouldn't have done that. But in divorces, I will grant you that your average couple, and this is no child abuse happening, no problem, average couple breaking up, the mom who then finds, a, finds herself hardened towards the man's right. image, they might each, even if they don't mean to do it, they make sort of off the top remarks. Sure, sure. And that's life. That's life. Hey, look. How many people hate me? So, well, the cases I've interviewed, there have been uh, a, met, a husband and wife that lost their children. So they're together and they just demonize the parents. And a typical th theme I found is that they think the kids are being malnourished or something. A nosy neighbor sees something and then reports them for that. And that's it. You know, That is a bit different. Okay. I won't even go into that because, well, you've already covered it in your show, but I, I don't know too much about Yes, and I'm going to tell you, right, folks, going off the track, but these things happen. In Tennessee, and you can look it up, it was about two months ago, a lady said that her, she and her husband and her five kids were driving their station wagon <laughs> down the street. And they got pulled over for two things, having tinted windows. They were not in their home state. They left Georgia and passed through Tennessee going to... God knows where. And during the ride in Tennessee, apparently the rules are different on maybe the tinted windows. And one other stupid thing, but it wasn't speeding, some stupid thing. And they pulled them over. And before you know it, the woman was asked to give a urine test in the car. Imagine if you're wearing jeans and you're supposed to wiggle around and give a urine test in the car. And why she was being urine tested? Well, even if she was on drugs, she wasn't the driver. I guess they wanted to have something that they could say she's a bad mother. And before you know it, they all go into the jail with the husband. And somebody from CPS whisks her kids away, one of whom was on the tip. I don't mean they whisked it off the tip, but one kid was still of that age, needed mm -hmm. mom. And mom also needed to express the milk. So when I told that to one of my, shall we say, well-informed girls, they said, course they were waiting for them in other words they learned back in georgia that there was a couple who didn't have much family so the dad didn't have brothers and the woman had no friends or something 
They knew they would be an easy target. And as they passed through the state of Tennessee, which meant no one to take you in for the night or, you know, you're in a foreign country. And my friend said they were ready to traffic those children, sort of to buy them, B-U-Y, buy them. And I, I, what I'm remarking here is my friend took like a millisecond to make that interpretation, which may be wrong, but still it tells you that we're looking at business here. We are looking at big business. Okay, now we go back to the story again of my friend. So he has been waiting and waiting, although as you know, and this is true for the mothers also, they're constantly told that there's another hearing, a committal hearing, a directions hearing. There's one in Australia called a dispositional hearing. And you're always thinking, at least the mothers who are innocent and naive are thinking, okay, on December 5th, that's when we will solve the issue, you know. So this goes on and on. And as I say, it's now four and a half years since he was arrested. And he's had no satisfaction of any kind. And he goes to the hearings and he always says, I have proof. Both those little girls and also the grandson person. Ding, ding. That they were... Um, it's on the record, like they told school teachers, they told the doctor that there's plenty of evidence that it's true. And um, he said, the judge, the magistrate, I think that means like a junior judge. Do you know? I think like if it's a lawsuit that's under $50,000, it goes to a magistrate. Mm -hmm. something like that. So anyway, most of those hearings were with magistrates. I feel I really must tell you something that's a little bit to the side. There is the most amazing conflict of interest in Australia, and I don't think it's here, but you can tell me. They have a thing called the Children's Court. Now, there are kids who commit crimes at age 14, and I suppose it's reasonable to have a segregated building, even a room, where mm. the thing going on in there is the Children's Court. And the rules may be a little bit different, like they may be less inclined to really harshly cross-examined, whatever, it's the children's court. But that is also the place where this mother, in Australia, the family court is federal. The family court is where the big judge, not the magistrate, the big judge, makes the decision. The mother will have custody, but the father can visit on weekends and summertime. But then it leaves the sort of jurisdiction of the family court once you're having this trouble thing where the mother is being accused of something. It goes to the children's court. And over there, the rules of evidence do not apply. Now, that in itself is amazing, but it's worse than that. The magistrate in that court is the police. I've actually sat in a case in Australia which was just a traffic thing. I was waiting for my next customer at 2.30, and I got there at 2.15, so I sat in the back of the court. And there was a simple traffic case going on. Judge was sitting up front in his usual black robes. The guy who had speeded or whatever was standing there. And the person standing at a podium and being the prosecutor was a uniformed police. I I've never seen that here, but maybe, maybe it does happen. I don't know. However... You wouldn't guess, you wouldn't guess in Australia that the prosecution against you in the children's court is the police. 
Yeah. It's such a cuckoo concept. It, you can see it's a total conflict of interest because that sure. magistrate is working for the prosecution. Sure. And what can I say? She's called the crown, the crown prosecutor. Everything is sort of disguised by the word crown. Well, we saw how the how parts of Australia reacted to COVID, and it, it was even worse than here, which is hard to believe. So I, I, it doesn't look like Australia is any kind of antidote to the tyranny we have here in this country. I agree, except since they're getting it for the first time, I mean, Americans have always been able to build up their confidence by the Constitution and free speech. And, and free speech is better here, I have to say. After all, sir, you are talking right now to the world or however many want to watch it, and nobody is, that I know of, uh, whipping you or something. <laughs> That's and, true. And, and you wouldn't expect them to. And I thought earlier when I, if I had come on to the show exactly at five o'clock when I was supposed to, but I had a technical issue, I was going to say, thank you for being brave. But I really don't like that word brave when it's in America for free speech. It shouldn't, uh, there's nothing brave about it. Am I right? Yeah, well, it shouldn't be. It, should, it shouldn't be a, an act of courage to just, <laughs> just tell the truth. But, yeah, yeah. you know, this would Orwell said, didn't he? He said in the times of, uh, in the times of tyranny, uh, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. So it's becoming a revolutionary act. It is. That's right. That's right. Okay. Now, I forgot what we did. Um, I want that guy to say, I love you again. Come back, the guy who says, I love you. Oh, John, well, he's, he's, uh, well, he just talked about his, his wife breastfeeding the girls. And, uh, but yeah, he does love you. There's no question about it. So you, you have at least one admirer out there who's not so secret. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> All right. Now, where are we going with this? So the woman eventually, and she might die, and um, there's a series on YouTube. It's been there more than 10 years. I hope you remember it. The man running it was called Bill Windsor, which is the name of the Prince of Wales, but never mind that. He was from Atlanta. He first went on a tour of the United States on pie-eating contests. Now, I don't quite get that. Have you ever seen a pie-eating contest? Where yeah, you're not it's, to it's, it's one of the main, that and hot dog-eating contests are even dumber. I mean, it's just, that's all I see is idiocracy when I see it. It's so stupid. Oh. <laughs> I was at a Republican Party meeting this uh, summer, and they had a pie-eating, and you had to not touch the food. You had to have your hands behind your back, and... Face. I'm sure there's a lot of skill involved. I <laughs> anyway, um, so after he did his pie eating, he was sued by somebody whom he had never met, had nothing to do with. It was like like an, a utilities company or something, but he was totally unrelated to them. So he had to fight in court because they were saying he owed them money. And that's where you got a whiff of the fact that courts are not like what you think they are. So he then went around the country back to his pie eaters, and the word got out, I guess, does anyone here have a complaint about court? Now, in my opinion, I'm very happy for what he did, but he could have called for, in his home state of Georgia, a grand citizen-led grand jury. In colonial days, grand juries were strictly citizen-led. There was never no idea of the court running them. And the responsible type citizens, uh, there would be 23 of them impaneled and 
it lasted two years. You would be giving up two years of your time, but I don't think you'd do it full time. And you would also report to the government if you saw troubles out there, and it might be a trouble like a bridge was about to fall down, anything, you would bring it to the attention of the government. So this guy, um, Mr. Bill Windsor, ran this series called Lawless America. It's still on YouTube. And he interviewed, I think, many hundreds of people. And they would each say, I remember there was a lady, I think her name was O'Connor, and she was from the Northwest. And she, she had been accused, she worked for a car dealer, and her boss said she had embezzled $10,000. She thinks probably he embezzled it, but anyway, he found it convenient to blame her. And so her case, her case to Bill Windsor was, hey, this is so horrible and unfair, I didn't do it. And um, I suppose her complaint would be something like, and they wouldn't investigate it properly, because after all, anyone could go to Bill Windsor and say, I didn't do it. But what she was saying was the court didn't act court-like. So after he did his show, I happened to notice two women, one a lovely lady called Irene Holmes, and her baby had been taken from her. Now, this could be the kind that you dealt with on your show. They just came out and grabbed her four kids, three boys and a little girl. And Irene Holmes, I think they said she was disabled. Now, she did not look to be mentally slow. She didn't look particularly fast, but who has the right to take a mother's kids because the mother's <laughs> mentally slow? Can anyway, we have a right? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so she was singing this song. I can't remember the song, but she she hadn't seen the kids in a long time. So here's her chance on the television to try it out in case they're listening. And she said that the three boys came first in the family, and then the girl. And she was teaching the little girl to do things like their brother. So she'd say, "Sit up like your brother, dance like your brother," and it was mm. so touching. I mean, it was so simple. And, Shows you she's a good mother, and but who 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 took them? Is child protective service? Was this an American? Yeah, it would be that sort of thing. CPS, CPS, yeah, saying she's not a capable mother. Yeah, and they do that, and maybe those kids have disappeared into trafficking or not. You just could don't be, know. could be. There's another thing they disappear into, and those of us who love the Constitution will be very upset about this. They, there's part of the financial racket has to do with. Adopting kids, fostering and adopting. And yes. you might think, well, we're losing money if the lady down the street is willing to be a foster carer and she's going to get $200 a week when she gets. That's not making money, but apparently it makes money for the state because if the state can write to the feds and say, yes. this month we have 17,500 kids in foster care, so please give us blah, blah. And money involved, where they get this for adopting the. Oh, and it's just terrible for kids who are in foster forever. They'd rather be adopted. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe. My husband was a pediatrician, and he said when kids would be shunted around a lot as fosterers, and they would finally end up in institutional care, you know, the St. Joseph's Home for Kids, he said that's when they were best off because they knew it wouldn't get worse. <laughs> they didn't know who's going to be the next mother or that, that was it. They were at St. Joseph, period. Never mind that. Okay, so another woman on that same show, her name is Mona. I think it's Mona. 
Good Branson, Good Branson, G U D B R A N S O N. Please look her up. She doesn't sing a song, but she cries. And she tells you that her daughter was the mother that got hurt. And her daughter, the mother named Ingrid, committed suicide after five years of going to all the hearings and never getting anywhere and being treated with contempt by the people in the courtroom. And she even mentioned one time when the judge ruled against her and she said everybody did sort of high fives as if they were celebrating. And she said to them, excuse me, this is not the Super Bowl. This is my family's life. What are you doing? And later, a friend of mine in Australia was accompanying a mother to the latest hearing at Children's Court. And the decision went against her. And she said, as they came out of the building, all the lawyers and crown magistrates that were coming out, and they were smiling and laughing. And see, there's something funny there. People don't do that. It's something weird. Okay, so Monica Good Branson is a really good case of telling you that it can end up in death. And Mary says that could end up with a charge of manslaughter against the judge. Oh, wait a minute. Mary's got a whole Santa Claus bag full of charges. And the point is this the woman died. We know that. Yes, it was suicide. Somebody didn't shoot her. But the suicide was clearly related to the, the high fives and all that crap and losing her child. Now, who is to be held accountable for that death? It's not a fair death. She didn't deserve to die. I say the judge. I always say the judge rather than CPS or lower down. But them too. I don't let anybody get away. But sure. I would say the judge made the decision, wrote the charge, whatever he did, he or she. Many of them are women judges, which is even weirder. And I say that person is responsible or should be indicted, should be investigated at least. I think there's a case there against that person. And if we got a few of them indicted. You froze up, Mary. Mary, you're frozen. Can you hear me? Mary, I can't hear you. The audience can't hear you. Hopefully Mary comes back. Uh, in the meantime, uh, I'd like to see more activity. Is only a, Oh, she's gone. Hopefully we bring her back. <clears throat> Riley will, is the only one over in Rockfin chat room. You can see you have lots of people here on uh, YouTube, but let's see. Mary? I'm trying to add her. Mary, I, I've added her, but I don't see her or hear her. I, I took her out of the stream, Don, because she was frozen. Um, okay. I'm guessing she's going to have to come back. We'll just okay. say hopefully she'll come click on the link again and go through the process. Hopefully she'll be back. But, yeah, her, her, uh, her stream was frozen. Okay. That's cool. I appreciate it, Tony. No problem. It will uh, – uh, Let's see. Chris Graves is here for a second. Chris, you can jump in if you feel like it. Um, so hopefully we'll get Mary back. And uh, I, d I just think she's so cute. She's just, you know, I, I just love, I love the way her, I love her manners and style. And uh, <clears throat> I think the point she was making, obviously, is that this child sex trafficking and the general state of the tyranny in Australia is at least as bad as it is here. And that's, you know, my book, Mass and the Truth, demonstrates that in terms of COVID is that uh, we saw 
even worse stuff going on in Australia. It looks like Mary's trying to come back here. Can you see me? Yes, you're back. We thought they got you. I thought you had a hurricane. No, you no, just... no, no. You, I didn't lose me. It was, it was you. You left, and uh, so we, you're back now. So good to see. So sorry to uh, have you interrupted, but basically, I was trying to tell the audience. I think the gist of this is that you're, we're saying that Australia is at least as bad in this regard in terms of uh, child sex trafficking and this, and the system covering up for it. But do you, because you used to be, or you used to live in Australia. So is this, is this why do you make a habit of investigating things going on in Australia just because you have tied, you had ties to that country? Uh, it must've been somebody dragged me in on some particular, and then I got interested. And there's a magazine that I write for, it's called Gumshoe News. Dot com. It comes out every day with one article, often by the owner of the website named Dee McLaughlin. And mm -hmm. she will cover pretty much anything, particularly she hates the mainstream media. And if they're spotlighting a topic, she'll spotlight that topic, but from a different point of view. So it may be that I really don't remember how I got on that. But on other ones, I consider my main gig to be the Boston Marathon. And I wasn't on it until two Canadian girls, not young, but girls, they- um, That's a good word, girls. It's not being, de people demonize now. They don't, they, they, they get upset if you, well, now they don't want to say boys or girls or men at all, but even before the transgender craze, I remember they would they would go out of their way like to, they like a, you'd be a seven-year-old and they couldn't say girl, there's a young woman. Come on, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Girls is a nice word. It's, it's so stupid. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I forget what my girls were. Does, does anybody know what I was talking about? Yeah. Well, we were talking oh, about. Yes, the, yeah, yeah. How did I get into it? Okay. Two girls in Canada. They wrote to me and I'd say most letters I get of that type are CIA. How do I know? Because I usually write back, oh, thank you and blah, blah. And then I don't hear from them again, which is strange. They could bother to write to me the first time, and then I might ask them a little question. Or you should read yeah. such and such a book. You know, it's funny they disappear, or sometimes they come back nasty the second time. They're not very nasty, but no, no, no. Anyway. Sure. so except for the two Canadian girls, I would not have pushed it on the Jaha Jaha Tsaneev. But boy, they made me do it, and it ended up with me getting completely through that basic case is so good. Look how many things are fake now. Uh -huh. So to live with fakery. Anyway, the Boston Marathon case is totally fake. And I grew up in Boston and it really disgusts me that there isn't more of a... Well, you, well, you I think we talked about this a little bit. You, you must know about Dave McGowan's work, right? I do, yes. Yeah, I mean, because he, he did fantastic work on the Boston Marathon and died very strangely, if I must say, very, very quick, aggressive form of cancer after he had an appearance on, uh, what's it, I mean, Caravan to Midnight with John B. Wills when he was talking about, it. he was analyzing the photographs and the film of the Boston bombing and the kept the cowboy guy and all that stuff. I just, you know more of that than I do, but so where, where do you stand now? Do you think, uh, is this a uh, Poor guy. Do you think anybody will ever talk to this surviving Sarnaf brother that's in prison? And it certainly looks like he didn't do anything to me. Um, I should try harder 
As you may know, I filed a RICO case against him, blaming the FBI for doing the bombing, which I'm sure they did. And mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's just a blast for so they could get something going about terrorism. As usual, the president showed up. I guess that would have been Obama, 20? Yes, Obama, 13. yeah. President shows up and says, and it's in print somewhere, we will get through, we'll look into this, and whoever it is will bring them to justice. You must have been looking in the room. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, that boy probably, probably will die. I saw something just in the news this morning about him. Um, do you know if you ask Google to keep you posted on a name, say Mary Maxwell, say Yahar Zanev, then anything that comes out in mainstream on any given day, they will notify you of. So this morning I did get a notification and it did talk about attitudes toward the death penalty. Well, that could mean they're working their way to, he's entitled to die at any moment. There's no, <laughs> no outstanding waiting for the next appeal or anything. He already had two appeals and I was in one of them as an amicus and they paid no attention to my, Amicus brief. I bet. <laughs> that does does said, he still have that same awful lawyer? Uh, was it Judy or somebody that's uh, just always her? Uh, uh, this... She has okay. just been appointed to guess who? The Pittsburgh oh. synagogue bomber. Hello. Oh, she gets the big cases. <laughs> wow. And she always loses. So, Pittsburgh synagogue bomber, <laughs> you're not going to win. She did the Eric Reed guy too. He he blew up a lesbian bar. Now, can you imagine somebody bothering to blow up a lesbian bar? Why was a guy? <laughs> and then yeah. the Olympics, way back in '92, the Atlanta Olympics. As if any ordinary person would dare or would have the, you know, wherewithal to do that. Okay, so um, back to the. Uh, you said McGowan. I didn't know about McGowan until I think it was you that told me to go look. Probably, at him. I sing his praises all the time, and he's he's uh, he did some great work on the Boston bombing. He really did. I hadn't known about that, but I had known since many years ago his book called "Programmed to Kill," and he went through all of the ones like the Unabomber and who's that Bundy guy, and all of them. Yeah, makes them all look like setups, as they probably are. And you just mentioned a quick death for him. I consider that diagnostic. Cancer is usually slow. And if it goes, you know, within days, they really have to get rid of somebody. Oh, his was warp speed. Uh, Fastest cancer since Jack Ruby. You know, Jack Ruby had some pretty fast cancer, but I think Dave McGowan beat him. And then he dies on November 22nd. Uh, talk about a cosmic coincidence. Oh, really? Yes, he died on oh. November 22nd. Yep. You talking about Jack Ruby or McGowan? No, no, Dave McGowan, Dave McGowan. But it's just because he oh, was in that boy. conspiracy yeah. world, you know. It's just it's uh, yeah. pretty. The odds are pretty much against that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, um, the what else shall I tell you? It's six o'clock. Um, you want to hear any more stuff? Sure. Well, you want to hear so any more about? Well, well, yeah. Well, if, if, and I, I'm, I'm interested in if we could just try to focus and just go from just, just okay. We, we understand the case. Tell us exactly and what, you know, how, why you're so involved in it, and do, what do you think is special about this case as opposed to say, 
Franklin Credit Scandal or Martin, McMartin Preschool or something in the U.S. Is it similar to that, or is it something different? The Martin Preschool was was the kind of thing that we had the Royal Commission study. Like I said, Catholic priests and Boy Scouts, Navy, any place at which the the name of the Royal Commission was Royal Commission into institutional responses to child sexual abuse. So it was never about incestuous families. It wasn't about stealing kids off the street and selling them. By the way, I heard the other day that Catholic Charities does that. Have you read that? Catholic Charities? All, you know, I, I, I was raised a Catholic, but yeah, all those Catholic Charities pretty much runs the uh, sanctuary cities here. I know that. So I'm not, I'm not a fan of their work. Somebody just came onto your screen and said, Dave McGowan was the first 9-11 truther on 9-12. That's, That's amazing. Chris it took Chris me three Graves. years. How long, if you care to say, how long did you? Oh no, it's well. I was I was a pretty much truther right away too, with all due respect. I mean, I remember remember just watching the. Uh, oh. And again, I'm laughing about it, but just when I watched the, uh, the the tower collapse and the people running, I was like, God, this is so much like a movie. I, I, I just it just the coverage just impressed me that way right from the beginning, and uh, turns out we were right. Well, I knew that the tsunami was fixed because of what you just said. I had seen the movie called maybe Japan is Sinking or something, and it came out like three years before the tsunami, and it looked just like it. Well, it look at the tsunami. I, I remember saying at the time, I, I was familiar kind of with that word tsunami, but for some reason, I think I associated with the world of Pokemon or something. I, I, I had never really heard about tsunamis as a weather of that before now now they're mainstream oh a tsunami this and i said wait a minute I, I, it's like a you know super super tidal wave it's like what it's just more fear porn i, I think there is a, a natural tsunami a tidal wave that can occur without anybody doing anything but there was a new zealander professor in 1945 who said at that time that he was that after the war ended he abandoned it but he was trying to find ways to make tsunamis so. Anyway, um, okay. 9-11 was a pile of bullshit. The BBC broadcasted on this one. It all came away, yeah. Um, I think I was on your show a little while ago and I spoke in favor of the Judy Wood. Does that ring Yeah, I think you did, sure. Yeah, we, you can talk about that now. We, we, my audience knows all about 9-11. I, I would like to have Judy Wood on the show. She's never responded to me when I tried to get her on. Okay. Um, now... What am I supposed to be telling you? Um, let's yeah, set aside the, the Boston Marathon. I think the boy probably will die because uh, not enough stupid Bostonians can pull themselves together and deal with it. Thank you. And oh, they, um, they cheered on. They cheered on the lockdown in martial law. Remember, they were they were cool with tanks rolling through their streets and everything. It's like you know, really. That was frightening, you know, to see that and just see, you know, troops jumping out and bursting into houses and all the video we saw and nobody complained. Not a peep you know from what? the civil libertarians. You know what? The people who clapped could have been hired to clap. I mean, the whole, everything, my theory is anything that you see. Okay, he says the tsunami of Japan was a hot event. Oh, white wolf. I went. Um, the... Um, People clapping, well, of course, they were told all day, the bomber is still at loose. 
He may get you next until you go to stay <laughs> right. in your house and all that, which was simply a tryout. It was, that's what it was. The man who was the governor at that time, oh, Deval Patrick, Deval Patrick. And he announced himself for president recently, but then he deleted his name from that episode. And uh, he's the one that, I guess, authorized a robocall on no basis whatsoever. I mean, if there's a bomber around who was able to create a small bombing scenario in Copley Square on uh, April 15th, 2013, I don't think that means he could go into your neighborhood and make the whole neighborhood disappear like Hiroshima or something. So I think it was unjustified anyway, but I think it was done to get people, you know, into the... <coughs> Into the lockdown frame of mind. Yes. So, so I agree. No, the Bostonians should be ashamed of themselves. No, and, and obviously worked so well. We saw, you know, we see how uh, <laughs> how well that's working. I, I want to get uh, a I want to thank everybody. And asking, you know, my new book, "Masking the Truth: How COVID nineteen Destroyed Civil Liberties oh. and Shut Down the World." is uh, doing really well. Uh, it, it got the little orange bar today on Amazon. It's the number one new release in a category. So I can call it a bestseller already. Thanks to everybody. And uh, please get the Amazon ratings and reviews out there. Go to Goodreads, please, and rate it. Just everything we can do, because this is an important book. And I'm trying to get on many shows as I can, and I'm getting on a lot. But the big names of the conspiracy world are still ignoring it. So try to get these guys, because it, they the entire Alternative media should be have been waiting for this book. This is the first book that tells the whole story from point A to Z, from the beginning to the end. It's the greatest psyop in the history of the world. I'm sorry, Mary. I just had to say this. No, say it more. A to Z, is that in the title? A to Z? No, no. I'm just saying it now. But it's it's. But I go from A to Z, and I think. Can you hold up the book? Uh, I have one copy, and it's upstairs. But it's it's uh, a. <laughs> It's uh, I know I I have to buy a bunch of extra copies and uh, okay and what is the uh, title I'm, again? Masking the, the truth, masking oh. the truth. How COVID nineteen destroyed civil liberties and shut down the world. Sherry Tenpenny wrote the foreword, so I'm very proud of that. And uh, has blurbs from Naomi Wolf and uh, my buddy from the Brady Bunch, Susan Olson, uh, Cindy Sheehan, peace activist. So. Uh, so far, I haven't heard anything bad about it. So I, I, I want to hear more feedback, but it's uh, a lot of research went into it, completely doc thoroughly documented, and it's there's no theory, anything. It just shows you, you know, they've never, they tell you they can't isolate the COVID-19 strain, whatever it is. So they haven't proven it exists. So my point is, if you talk about not being real, I don't think COVID-19 is real because they can't prove it exists. It's the greatest psyop in the history of the world. Did you leave it at that or did you go on to the vaccines as well? Oh, no, I went to vaccines as well. No, I went through the entire the entire story up to as close as I could get to a publication time. Like I said, I can't really end a book like this because it's ongoing. But, you know, I, I went as far up to as I can. Oh, yeah, we definitely covered the warp speed vaccine and all the lies about that. Because there's two parts. The first part is is inventing COVID-19 and trying to convince the people with incredible amounts of fear porn that this deadly thing is out there and then, you know, uh, completely playing with the statistics and the numbers and attributing things to COVID that were not COVID and, and you know, scaring people to death and then inventing the warp speed vaccine, which is the real bioweapon. That's the killer. And then lying about the, the people that the vaccine has killed and injured. And so there's two parts to components to it. 
I'll name my favorite three dissidents on that subject, if you'll name yours. Mine would be, well, I tend not to hang around America, but Vernon Coleman in the UK, Sukarit Bakti or Bakti in Germany, but he's a Thai man, T-H-A-I, but he's and um, I, I, I give loads of credit to Mike Yeadon, formerly of Pfizer. Yes, Is he one of yours? Yes, I would put him up there. Yeah, he's very good. And also Pierre Corey, who might be Australian. He was pushing the ivermectin early, and I think now he has made ivermectin his life's work and finds that it works on many things. And you know, the late Alan Cantwell, by the way, do you know that Graham McQueen died? I'm sorry, who? Are you aware Graham McQueen? Yes, I have heard. Yes, I mentioned him in the book. But he just died. Oh, I did not know that. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, I doubt it was from vaccine, being vaccinated. Well, that boy, that's uh, it's, how old is he? Seventy-five. Oh, okay, he wasn't really okay. Born, born yeah. in forty-eight, but you know, he was a tenured professor. He's probably the only tenured person who spoke out. His, his main yeah. speaking out, I think, was on the London bombing of. 7705 or whatever they call it, 707. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're 911, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, he didn't mince any words. And um, okay, so I'm sad he died, but um, I don't have information that says it was, you know, not kosher. I, I don't know. Okay, yeah. so um, on the vaccines, I go back further and I would hold up my book, but I don't think it's right around here. It's called Consider the Lilies. And I was on to the vaccines. Well, I published that book in 2013 out of a press on the West Coast known as Trying Day. And it's really still a very usable book, both on the cancer story and on the um, vaccine story, because Mr. You know, in 1859, Charles Darwin and another guy were like neck and neck to get the publication first of the origin of species mm. the other man's name being alfred wallace and um he alfred wallace i guess he went along he said okay let darwin have the credit but he was studying other things and one thing was that going on in the history. they started in 1798 again smallpox but throughout the 1800s many doctors and patients said come on this is garbage you know this is not a real thing and he wallace did the same thing that sylvia ma did for the john f kennedy yes exercise the fact sure he went through all the testimonies that were brought forward for a british royal commission in like 1890s and he read them all and then he read the final report, and just like Sylvia Ma, <laughs> all this good stuff did not make it into the final report, so people didn't find out about it. But clearly, if they had, if the person who wrote the final report was honest, it would have said, "Cut the nonsense on the on the smallpox vaccine." So, because of that, I got in early on the vaccine, and didn't have any trouble recognizing the the new one <coughs> for the non-disease COVID but also for autism. And I'm sure I could persuade you with research, but it's in my book, I don't have it handy. I wrote a book called A Bomb in Gilead. And at that time, when I was writing the book, it was not very um, conspiracy sounding 
because none of the mothers wanted to hear that. Of course, now their children are grown up. The children can make a decision whether they want to hear it. But sure. at that time, it was very um, not politically correct to suggest that anyone had harmed the kids deliberately, though Robert Absolutely. F. Kennedy, I give him credit, he showed through that Simpsonwood conference, he said that at the meeting, and I don't know who slipped him this line, but they, somebody said, well, what was your research, whether it was CDC or some other national institute, I don't, one of those things, and they asked him, how did you um, make your decision that it wasn't harmful to have those MMR vaccine, you know, the one that Wakefield got in trouble for measles, mumps, rebellion, and which was definitely causing thousands of children, if not millions of children, to come down with this disease. And at that time, at the Simpsonwood conference, the secretary or someone who wasn't very high up said, it was what Walt wanted, Walt being Walter Orenstein, Orenstein, <coughs> some kind of specialty doctor. So why would he want the research to come out in a certain way? I can tell you that doctors should want to find out whatever it is. Any scientist is looking into something to get right. the answer, not to get what they want to be the answer. Now I want to lie, I will complete first. Two chuck. Peace. I'm with you, White Wolf. Well, you know, more and more, more and more people now, and I, I never thought that would be the case you know, 20 years ago. Many, many people now are doubting evolution or doubting Big Bang. They're doubting science, and, and good for them because it's, it's, you know, you want to you make fun of the giant magic man in the sky that I hear from people that don't believe it. <laughs> keep, keep talking about evolution and, and how all, the, all these uh, missing links and how Darwin repudiated it himself when he died. Before he died, he said, yeah, that was wrong. It's stupid. And, and we talk about eugenics, Mary. Uh, and right now, I think the, the reason we see this massive die-off, 40% death uh, increase in the in death rate since uh, of COVID because of the vaccine, the reason is it's the culmination of the eugenicists. You mentioned H.G. Wells, who was one of them. So many of these high-profile eugenicists who want millions of people to die, they believe whom human beings are a scourge. It started with evolution because evolution preached survival of the fittest. So if you have fittest, that means by definition, some aren't fit. So that, that was easy for them to have the forced sterilization programs, which began under governor of New Jersey, Woodrow Wilson, in 1912, where he started, that's when they first started sterilizing women. And uh, it goes from there. And now you have, you, you see what it is today, where, you know, we're, we're a couple steps away from sterilizing conspiracy theorists. How many, I mean, there's probably millions of Americans that would support that. Good thing I've already had my kids. <laughs> That's the first I heard of that one. I would say most Americans do still believe in the COVID. I don't think it's. Oh yeah. No, we're outnumbered. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, hopefully enough of them read my book and they'll be uh, persuaded. Oh, yeah. I'll get it in the morning. I'll get it on Amazon. Oh, that's very kind of you. But it, it's, um, I think it's uh, worthwhile, but it's, it's you know, this stuff didn't happen overnight. That's why it's important when you're talking about the vaccines and all that stuff, you know your history and all this is uh, there. I, I In Crimes and Cover-Ups, uh, American Politics, 1776, 1963, I have a whole history of that, how when uh, vaccine, the, the introduction of vaccines into the culture, 
pretty much coincided exactly with the sudden appearance of cancer. You know, they, they studied mummies going back to antiquity. No evidence of anything called cancer anywhere. Uh, it wasn't even listed in the top 20 causes of death, I think, in 1900 in America. But as soon as the vaccines became widespread, boom, it goes up to number one. And uh, you're right about Bobby Kennedy, you know, uh, first uh, jumping in there with the links between vaccines and autism. He, there were basically two big names that everyone knew that uh, jumped on the crazy bandwagon, like uh, Dr. Wakefield, Wakefield, of course, who wasn't that big of a name, but he was, Andrew Wakefield was like the leader there. Wakefield, by the way, was sitting in the audience, uh, had a, a, a plum seat for uh, Donald Trump's inauguration, by the way. So that's where Trump was at that time. He was inviting people like that to his inauguration. Trump and RFK Jr. both were the only two celebrities. Well, I guess you had people like uh, Jim Carrey and, uh, uh, what's the other actress, uh, Jenny McCarthy, but they, because they had kids with autism. So they had reason. I'm sorry. To, you, I didn't get the first name. You said so-and-so and RFK. Who was the so-and-so? Trump, Donald Trump. Those are the oh. two ones who talked. Trump tweeted constantly about the links, but because, and probably because Baron Trump, a lot of people suspect he's on the oh. spectrum. When people have a, a, a vested interest in it, they do. So that's why he was so disappointing when he, uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr. bragged to the press uh, that he was going to be chairing a commission. Donald Trump had asked him to chair a commission to study the links between vaccines and autism. Of course, that was quickly thrown out the window. They stopped uh, the Trump White House stopped uh, returning his phone calls. <clears throat> Never happened. But just imagine if you had had a commission like that, if and they had honestly looked at things. I don't think they could have introduced this COVID nineteen psyop on the world. Because then people wouldn't have been demanding a vaccine because they had already said, oh, look what we just learned about these, the dangerous links between vaccines and autism and all this stuff. So uh, very interesting that uh, that happened. And then uh, Trump threw, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm taking up your time going all no, over the no, place. No, 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 this is stuff I love, but obviously Trump <laughs> copped out. Remember yeah. he said that he had taken not the ivermectin, but hydrochloroquine or something like that. Yes. He said, okay, I'm fine. And then afterwards, he wasn't supposed to say that. He didn't say it anymore. No, he got his fake COVID, which there's no way. I mean, he didn't have any COVID. He wasn't even sick. And there was a whole sigh of trying to pretend that he got because he wasn't wearing his mask. See what happened to Trump? He didn't listen to us. And he took that terrible hard oxychloroquine. And then as soon as he got it, the conspiracy people, the Trump supporters thought, oh, well, this is cool. He cured himself. See, he's going to talk about hydroxychloroquine. No, he's not. He threw you another curveball. I took Regeneron, you know, Dr. Fauci's miracle cure. And, you know, we, we both have. I didn't know that. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's what he talked about. So, no, he didn't mention hydroxychloroquine again. No ivermectin, nothing like that. But uh, I have a lot about Trump in this book. That's why he's on the cover. I have four four people on the cover with their mask, a mask, giant mask covering up most of their face. Trump, Biden, Fauci, and Gates. I think that's the Mount Rushmore of the greatest psyop in the history of the world. Do you have it looking like Mount Rushmore? Well, no, but it's, I just call it that. But they're, they're just four faces. And yeah, I probably should have had it that way. But uh, I don't, I think the, the cover turned out pretty well. But uh, I haven't heard any complaints of that yet. But uh, Is it any job other than the Amazon? Can you get it anywhere else? Oh, sure. In fact, if, I, if you look at my, if you don't follow me in Substack, you should, Mary. Uh, I write, that's the only place I'm not shadow banned. That's the only place I'm growing. That's donaldjeffries.substack.com. It's I protest just like this show. And if you go there 
Uh, a couple articles ago, when I announced the book, I put the link in it because uh, we wanted people to buy it through the publisher at first because I get a much bigger cut of the of the pie if you buy it through the publisher. So people buy it through that. And I know a lot of people have that. That would be great. But you can buy it anywhere. I mean, it's not that big a deal. Who but is the that, publisher? Who is it's the publisher? Lulu. Lulu.com. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Now, I want to say something I forgot to say before. In case anybody out there is um, really seriously look into the mother, you know, not the selling children for porn movies, but the thing of the mother losing her child because of the courts. If they want to look at the ultimate case, it's called Argyle versus Thomas. Now, you say, how would they dare to say the names? Those are fake names which the court gives. So any couple having that kind of problem, the court will award them a pseudonym. So Argyle versus Thomas. And it's an Australian case. So the first, the easiest place to go to find it would be at austley.edu.com.au, um, not com, austley, um, A-U-S-T for Australia. Then L-I-I, Legal Information Institute. Then dot edu because it connected to university of new south wales edu and then dot au but the point is the name of the case and it is incredible incredible how the judge uh, twisted words and oh man it's it's really something she goes on and on argyle versus thomas thank you that's all i need to tell the audience in case they want to continue with this study Your, your tech man just said you nailed it, Don. No, yeah, yeah. Thank you, White Wolf. I appreciate that. So, what else? You, what, you, so you're you're studying this Australian case. Uh, do you have anything else that you're you're looking into? It sounds like you research and write all the time. Do you regularly? I do. I, yeah. do. I don't. I think last. I can't even remember when I was on your show. It must have been like two months ago. I think we discussed the Elias Davidson book. Do you, does that ring a bell? Because I, I wouldn't so, have yeah. the. I didn't have the physical book then. I had only paper. You know, okay. Like, okay. Like, Tell us about that. I'd like people to buy this book. Okay. He died last year, maybe suddenly, but that doesn't always mean something. Um, it was just a quick man because he was, he was born in Jerusalem, but. It was 1941. It wasn't in Israel. So he calls himself a Palestinian Jew. His mother's parents had escaped it. So they go to Israel before it becomes Israel. So he's got quite a job in his life. He has to support Israel. He doesn't support them as a state or the politics, but he, of course he supports Israel. And, and he's the biggest 9-11 truther you could meet. And but the real thing about him that I love, loved, is he's so fussy. He won't take anybody's conspiracy theory. He won't take anybody's hunches. Everything for him has to be the most detailed stuff. And so that's wonderful. So I wrote this book. It's about him. It's about what he did, but it's got a lot of my stuff in there, too. Cool. And the special part of it is, well, I'll tell you what the special part is. He is really strong on making sure Muslims don't get blamed for things they didn't do. Such as mm -hmm. 
And, but on the other hand, he, you know, I mean, he's, he's an honest Jew and he has to take it all in. He can't just play one game and then play another game and say, oh, I don't, I'm not going to think about what happened to the Palestinians. It, he loves the Palestinians. He was a Palestinian. Right, right, and right. this brings a whole different view. He's not a man out to get Jews. He is a Jew. <laughs> he understands what anti-Semitism feels like, but he also understands that it can be used as a game, you know. And he actually he actually supports Larry Silverstein, which well I don't, but B Building Seven? The, the guy that the guy that said pull building seven. Pull it, pull it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, he's still alive. I think he's well into his nineties. Yes, right? he's ninety-two, but he's alive. Yeah. Yeah. And I went to this meeting the other day. I'd like to push this guy's book. His name is David Bernstein. Can I remember the name? Give me one minute to walk over to my desk and see if I get the book. Okay. Okay. Very the beauty of live podcasting, folks. Um, throw your <laughs> comments and questions out for Mary. You know, she loves listening to you. I appreciate everybody who's in there. No, White I didn't Wolf, see. Sam Bodie Street. Go ahead. What were you saying? No, I was just talking to I the went chat to room. See. I thought I might have this David Bernstein book. Okay. David Bernstein, now this was a very large meeting at a Jewish community center, and people were there because he it, it was well advertised that he was going to tell them that although they tend to be left-wing, and he says he tends to be left-wing, that if you carry the woke story too far, that leads to anti-Semitism. Now, mm -hmm. to me, this is straight out of Australia because who wants to own up to Aborigines having been massacred? But they were. I mean, it's a fact already, folks. It's a fact. And mm -hmm. it's a fact that the Arabs were kicked out of Palestine in 1948. It's a fact. Why so, were the Aborigines massacred in Australia? Was it for a land grab? Or what? What? what why yeah. were they massacred, do you think? Generally, a, a conquest. And mm -hmm. we did it too. And when I was running for president, you know, I ran for president of the U.S. in 2020. Yes, I did. I, how, I would have voted for you. How did I not? How did I, no, tell us only about that. Only in the state of, uh, it was in the primary and I tried it in New Hampshire and I didn't make it past the primary. Oh, I couldn't have voted but for you. Okay. I went around to all parts of New Hampshire. It was very interesting. And one of them had a sort of a sign on the wall. This was where the King, King Philip's Wars, and King Philip was an Indian. He just had that name, King Philip. And he held out, like so many others did, still fighting the white invasion. Because what are you going to do? I mean, you want to protect your people. But at a point, he had to give up and say, we can't win this. But in Australia, I would say probably some combination of instinctive racism or instinctive conquestism <clears throat> when you go out to get another group, you try to wipe them out. And they told me that um, in the study of zoology, there's at least one species, and that is the hyena, that goes in for uh, like genocide because, and it's all done by, in bacteria, we call it quorum sensing. I don't know, if it's similar. So the, you're in one troop of hyena, you're not you, Don, you are a hyena. And you're in that troop, and there's another one down the road somewhere. And you see them getting bigger, not personally bigger, more, more populous. 
hyenas. And so that's a worry to you because you have a shared resource, be it water or something, and you don't want that to happen to you. So wouldn't it be strategic for you to start killing them off while they're still not 50%, it's still not bigger than you, but you could get them maybe. And the one thing you do is if you see any of them on the loose, any individuals walking around from that troop, you kill them because it's easy. They're there, just kill them. And which is not normal for uh, species to kill their own conspecifics, but in this case, it's like a genocide or whatever you might call it. It's like a war. And finally, one troop wins out over the other. So if we have such an instinct, and maybe we do, after all, there's been many a conquest. And when it happens, it's sort of a problem to you that the defeated team is still there. But if they're a huge defeated team, you might just want to go in and run them as slaves and just use them. But if they're troublemakers, you might want to. Uh, I want to tell you something. Doc. This came up the other day. In well, New Zealand. I, yes. Well, I was going to ask you, the, 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 the tinfoil hat or welcome. And he has, has a question that maybe you'd like to answer it. So are we fairly optimistic then or what? Oops, glad I found the channel. What's the plan? Do you have a plan, Mary? Are you optimistic? Oh. I'm pretty black-pilled, obviously. What, 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 are, what are your feelings about uh, all the stuff we talk about? Uh, how, do we, how do we fight it? I'm going to fight it in the court. I, I, I love the law. I, I, you can't get me to stop seeing the law as natural. And in fact, here's another book you have got to read. Oh, my gosh. This is way, 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 way best Utopia by Philip Allot in, in Cambridge, England. And he is a philosopher. Well, I'm, I'm answering the person who just put the question on the board. Are you optimistic? You get yeah. this book, and then please tell me how you feel about that book. And you can get me at Maxwell Mary, I think, LLB, Bachelor of Law, LLB at gmail.com. Um, now, I was about to tell you about another one of our folks, but I have forgotten what it was. So, well, I would say but to, to answer tinfoil hat or myself, I would say, you know, although I seem pretty uh, black-pilled to most people, a lot of times I end up being more, uh, more optimistic than uh, somebody I'm talking to because I've watched too many Frank Capra films, I think. You know, so I'm, I'm still believing in the fairy tale ending, you know, somehow that the people can overcome it. Uh, it doesn't look very good, but we... We're like Orwell's pearls in 1984. We have one great advantage, and that is a huge, huge uh, advantage in numbers. I mean, we out we outnumber these clowns by the billions around the globe. So, but we can't come together, and that's the problem: is that we keep getting divided by all these stupid things. They know how to divide and conquer. Conquer if we just common, if we're just together, focused on the common enemy, tyranny would be gone tomorrow but we just can't seem to do that. Sorry, go ahead. Yep. Um, in this, I don't know what to, okay, it's a hopeless case. Um, in this book, now, Mr. Pridgen, he wrote his own book. Everybody knows he's the author, not me. But then I have another one that talks about what's happening. And I see how it has to be said that 
he outnumbered them, even though there's only one person. He's speaking for all of those mothers, and they never had a spokesperson like that before. Well, they had me, but <clears throat> mm -hmm. I'm just so totally hopeless at promulgating my work. It didn't happen. Now I'm trying to push his work because he's on trial. He might go to jail, and that gets people interested. They hear that someone who doesn't deserve jail is you know, in danger of jail. Remember, he was the kingpin. He was uh, running a syndicate of things. But anyway, for that, if they cheat enough on how they handle this case, they could end up, end up with him in behind bars. Mm -hmm. Perhaps then let the word get around the prison that he's a pedophile, which he's not, and then they have a right to beat him up. Have you ever read the book by Sean Atwood, or do you know Sean Atwood, who runs an interviewing thing in England? I th I think I was on his show once. I'm pretty sure I was on his show once. <laughs> I oh, think, yeah. yeah. He wrote a book called Hard Time about mm -hmm. his six years in jail for drug selling. And boy, he says if a pedophile comes in, they just whack him against the wall, brick wall, until his head breaks open. Yeah. Yeah, that's that. I understand they're treated worse than everybody. So it's, but. Well, a lot of the most of the pedophiles don't seem to end up in prison. <laughs> most of them seem to be promoted into higher places because that's the problem is that these, as you mentioned in the case in Australia, we've kind of come full circle where when you have the whistleblower getting punished and getting, you know, just uh, having his medical license taken away, the judges all in on it, the cops all in it. And that's the problem is how do you fight? And White Wolf is exactly right. I don't think we outnumber the sheeple and they are the problem. That's the problem is that, yeah, I, I would. I guess we do have to factor that in, don't we? That we that we really the people that want this to change maybe don't outnumber because so many of the people seem happy. Why do you think? I don't understand. How can anybody be satisfied with what we have? You know, is, at this point, like, how, how did ninety six percent of incumbents get elected? And I really think most of that is legitimate voting. I don't think they need to have much vote fraud. I think people are that stupid. But how? Why would you? How do you? How do you give a thumbs up to this stuff? I don't get it. Mary, explain it to me. Well, I think all elections, if if they're electronic, they're so easy to fiddle with that they're probably all fiddled with. But I was out there running for, uh, I tried Congress, I tried Senate, I tried President, and the Senate President was a bit of a joke. But the other ones, I was one of like 10 candidates. In fact, exactly 10 for Senate. And in the year 2022, I think I was one of 10 now that's only the primary, all right? So I was one of the Republicans trying to get to be the Republican running against the Democrat. And um, during that time, only the big name, I mean, every day you open the Concord Monitor or the union leader right. in Manchester, and what you would get was discussions of two or three, and the others right. didn't exist. So that decision was made by that editor. He didn't have to focus in on those that's how it works. Yeah, they ignore people like you. And so, you know, otherwise you would have mopped the floor up with them. They give you a chance, right? Well, actually in Alabama, I was doing quite well and <clears throat> running for Senate. How did I get down there? Because I was in Australia and I heard that Jeff Sessions, do you remember when Trump came in January 2017, he had to pull in his cabinet members quickly and he chose Jeff Sessions as right. his attorney general, but that left yes. his vacant Senate seat. So I said, oh, I'll have fun. I'll do that. And during that run, 
I was really popular on that hustings. I'm surprised because I admitted I was a carpetbagger. Hello, I'm carpetbagging. Yeah. But I loved it. And I lived in Tuscaloosa, and I still believe they must put something in the water because I was so happy. I was so happy every day. Never mind. I just remembered what I dropped before. It was the Maoris. You asked me about Aborigines, and I, I thought it something happened with in New Zealand. The Maoris never got defeated like the Australian Aborigines did. They have always had their culture and their politics, and I believe under the Constitution, though I don't know this, I'm guessing, that they have certain kinds of autonomy. And recently, Reiner Fulmick, you know who I mean, Fulmick, the guy who was trying to get an ICC-type thing going about the COVID. Do you know the guy I mean, the German lawyer? He's he's been a big name in the um, well. He put and, together and, something like a grand jury, and the girl on his team, who is the one you should really look for, she has the first name of Astrid. Now there aren't that many, so I bet if you just put in her first name, Astrid. You're talking about Reiner, Reiner Fulmich? Yes. So Reiner. Yeah, Fulmich, he's he's been Reiner Fulmich was on my show while that. Good, and great, he great now being disappointed by. Um, trying to get into ICC, which he shouldn't have ever bothered with. Oh, God, what a joke that was. Hmm. But he now is bringing his work that he did for the ICC to the Maoris who have their own courts. Hmm. See? Just as some tribes of natives in America have their own, have some autonomy, you know, it's in the Constitution, but I don't know if um, any of them are open to that sort of thing, but the Maoris are pretty <clears throat> unhappy with tyranny, and they have allowed Mr. Reiner Fumick. I, I don't know how it has progressed. It maybe hasn't even got there yet, but that's a very interesting way. It would be like me trying to do my silly little citizen-led grand juries in New Hampshire or something when everybody says, oh, you can't do that, that's been government. But in Maori country, you can do it. It's legal. You can go to the Maori court and try to get some action there. So how do you like that? He's bringing all his hugely sophisticated material. Wow. Do you have Chris face Bucket. tattoos to go into the Maori court? <laughs> <You> have... <clears throat> That's oh. Chris Bucket. Mary, how did you uh, <clears throat> how did you get started? I, I probably asked you this before, but you're such a sweet lady. Uh, people would if they saw you and talked to you a few minutes, I mean, me, maybe they'd believe, well, maybe not. I don't know. When I, when I used to coach youth sports, I remember like when I started writing afterwards, a lot of the soccer moms and basketball dads, they, they couldn't believe I had this stuff in my head. I hit it. Well, you know, when I was coaching, uh, how, when did you start going down the wayward path? Were you always a, a questioner of, did you always question things or did something happen that triggered you at some point? Um, I usually date I date my awareness of 9/11, which is a biggie, to 2005 February. I happened to discover it accidentally in print. I thought, oh, what do you know? <laughs> because I had thought it was the Muslims before that, and uh, stupid me. And then after I got a load of that, which was February 2005, by the time. August rolled around, and I had read a lot of internet by then. Like, I was staying up all night. I was so <laughs> fascinated. 
And at that point, I noticed there would be a meeting of mind control people, which I thought probably was not genuine. I didn't think mind control was genuine. But I went to the meeting, and you'd have to say I got hooked for life because that's now subtract 25 from 18 years. 18 years up and really doing that heavy. And it was because I was so impressed, terribly impressed, um, I mean, bad impressed that these girls would tell their story of what the American government did to them as Americans. It didn't make sense. Uh, some of them were like they would pay the dads. It would often happen in a military family on base. They would go to the dad and they would either say, we will give you $50,000 if you will let us do patriotic experiments on your child, something like that. Or, hey man, we know that you are guilty of blah, blah crime and we will remit any indictment or any charges against you if you will kindly let us borrow the girl. But no matter how it came about, we would then find doctors, nurses, all sorts of people putting their hands on kids in a torturous way. How can this be? Nobody does that. How can it be? So I guess I still haven't figured out how can it be, except once you were given a story, I guess, that, oh, we need to, just like everything in CIA, we need to find out how to do it because we know the Russians are doing it and we're going to need to um, you know, right. undo, undo, you know. We have to abuse story. the children first before the Russians get to them, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's how, I guess I got onto it through that 2005 link into mind control. And once you're there and you find out the cruelties that abound, after that, everything else kind of looks different to you. Yeah, you can't, you can't close those doors once you open them. That's for sure. What, so how did your, uh, how did the, those around you react? How did your family react? Were you ostracized or you become a black sheep? Uh, a lot of us, you know, are just our families. If they stay with us, mine fortunately did. Uh, <clears throat> most of them, except for my son, you know, they, they just either tolerate me or they think I'm crazy. What, what, how does your family feel about you? On, I shut up my mouth. I shut up oh. my mouth. You, sh you shut your I mouth don't, around? <laughs> I, don't, I don't try to put this stuff out on in my personal life. Oh, so you, they don't. So your your family doesn't even know about this. They don't know you're doing this interview with a subversive like me. No, no. They, no. Wow, <laughs> that's impressive. I don't, I don't know if I've ever met anybody who was able to do that. What do you think would happen if they discovered the truth? I think they would have a good laugh in a, in a nice way. They think you know that's that's Mary's thing. That's her little hobby, and she likes that stuff, just like you might like sports or something you know that's what she does I, I don't think they would take it seriously because they're not thinking about it anyway yeah, yeah that's the problem most people aren't thinking but uh so you so you were you were and so you you kind of it seems like you so you were really interested in the subject when you're talking about you couldn't believe the, the things that are happening to these children and uh when you're talking about through the military what does that uh, I'm sure you must have heard of Michael Aquino, the Satanist that was on the, you know, the Air Force uh, Satanist who was accused of uh, lots of stuff. And, and somehow it doesn't matter, it seemed to matter what he was accused of. He just kept getting just anybody out there that thinks there's not a conspiracy, folks. What, why? And this Aquino was around for decades. So it goes back to the 80s, I think, at least <clears throat> during Ronald Reagan's tenure. What is an open Satanist doing being uh, promoted? I think it was Colonel. To a colonel, near. I mean, it, it was open about it. I mean, wouldn't that 
seemingly get in your way? Mary? I, mean, I, the army, I thought he was army, but if you say Air Force, maybe he is army. army. I, I don't know if Chris Graves is there. I'm sure he'll 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 have the answer at his fingertips. But regardless, he was a colonel in some, in the military. We go into the water, flying <laughs> into the sun. My father was army Air Force, army Air Corps <laughs> before it was the Air Force. Okay. Well, um, well, I think that um, the answer to Aquino is that now here goes how easily you can use freedoms in the Bill of Rights to mean anything. So you have a right to believe in anything. I mean, you can believe in dandelions made the earth or something, and you can believe the devil and I don't think we should allow that. We should say the devil stands for everything that goes against our morality. But Lieutenant Colonel, Deputy Commander, appreciate. Yes, that's right. Um, okay. Looks like looks um, like you were right. You were right. Uh, Chris Bucket says he, Lieutenant Colonel, and it was the Deputy Commander of the Presidio in San Francisco. It was Army. So you were right. In the Army, we have Satanism as a religion, and they get a chaplain, whether we pay taxpayers pay for it. I don't know. But this was after <laughs> Anton Levey. And if you if you look up um just look up Anton Levey military or something and you will find oh, sure. have a nice and, dinner. <laughs> and we can't sing Christmas. So our taxes pay our taxes pay for uh satanic temples or whatever on military yeah. bases, but but they we can't have little kids singing Christmas carols in school. So I mean just and with our taxes. I mean, does that make any sense? Those two things are not related. No, well, they certainly aren't. But I mean, it's 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 uh, the idea that. And do you see is, is when you look at what's going on now, Mary? I mean, I, I call this a spiritual battle. So it doesn't surprise me that Satanists are you know that high up in the military, or whatever. Because I think the people what we're seeing with the transgender craze and all the, all this it's massive corruption and just evil running rampant. I see a dark force behind that. I don't. I don't think it can be natural. I think there's. I think that Satan is behind that. Do you agree with me, or I'm crazy? No, no, it's us. Everything is you think us. It's us. You think it's yeah. us? Yeah, yeah. You think we have that kind of that? that people are just that bad. Some people. Yeah. Wow. Harvard Morgue operator. Who's that? Harvard Morgue operator. What about it? I don't know. It's crazy. You know would be all over a uh, story of the Harvard mortar. Uh, Doug, I'm not sure the story of the Harvard morgue operator. Uh, Doug elaborate on that. I'm not sure of that I might've missed that. It didn't make it into uh, masking the truth. I know that I, I, it could be, you know, a lot of these um, part of the COVID psyop was uh, the morgue. A lot of the more people claiming they were, they couldn't fit any more bodies in all kinds of nonsense. So they put them in refrigerated trucks and, they had people went out and videotaped it and showed that all the refrigerator trucks were in the off position. So they weren't for refrigerating anything, but the media kept throwing that out there. The temple was established in 1975. Okay. By, uh, according to T. Jordan. Thank you. Doug Water says, check it out, Don. Really disturbing. I would like to, but I, if you could just give me a little more details in the chat, that would be great. I'll take but, uh, this moment of downtime to say this about the transgender craze. Of course, interfering with children's development is, is I believe, crazy and very wrong.
but there are adults who are transgender. I have two good friends, one who went boy girl and the other girl boy. And mm-hmm. they're okay. They, I mean, they did it many years ago as adults. They were at least 30 years old when they did it. They felt they needed it. And then they have stepped into the other gender's role in, in the way they dress, the way they have certain occupations. And I think it's so mean to them now to be treated like some kind of, you know, cuckoo animals or something. That they're, they're very normal people. Well, I don't. I don't. You know, I don't want to mistreat anybody. But I think again, when you're, you're most of the focus, uh, most of the people that are criticizing this are talking about the children, because when you have you know yeah. three, four, yeah. five year olds, and you have mothers convinced that they're you know something else, like they're able to decide, and you have people, kids that are not able to legally have sex until 18 in most states deciding to change their sex. I mean, something twisted about that. You can't have sex, but you, but, but that's what, that's what we're saying now. I'd make 25 age the, the limit under which you can't do it. I mean, who, when you were 21, <laughs> don't, don't answer from a personal perspective. Yeah. When you were 21, when I was 21, did we understand what it meant like to find a partner later in life and, how very difficult that would be if one did not appear to be the sex one is claiming to be. And, you know, anybody under 25 just can't think of us. It's too much for them. Okay, this is the Doug is saying he saw a story on Fox News. They showed one of the customers, a guy with metal horns implanted in his skull. The guy was the manager of the Harvard School. Well, yeah, Harvard Medical School, I guess, makes it whole, okay, the whole story above with pictures. Okay. He's a black guy with a white girl covered in tattoos. Because it looks like he's per- it sounds like they're perfect for television. I, you know, I you talked about the Boston bombing. I uh, whether it's Sandy Hook, Parkland, any of these things, a lot of us just don't believe it. You know, we're skeptical about everything. You kind of alluded to that earlier, where you just I if I see something on the mainstream media now, I just assume it's fake until proven otherwise, or at least dishonest. Well, how about you? Yes, in fact, if it gets saturation coverage. It's a small item and has kind of a colorful, you know, bad thing about it. And they mentioned it several times over the few days. I think it is made up because they had to have been ready to get all kinds of angles on it and to push it. Good to see Colin Weisson. Good to see you over there in uh, Rockfin. I'm monitoring a little bit. Uh, Not as many. Riley's been doing yeoman's work over there. Lots of people over here. Good to see you. So where, um, at this point, what's the next thing you're, have you started research on anything else? What's your, what's your next thing you're going to dig into? I'm 76 years old. I'm getting ready to die. And um, I would like to. You're not getting ready to die? Wait, come on. (laughs) You don't say that literally, right? You're just saying it because of your age? I I know that there isn't much time left. Oh, that's the way I think. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, that's I, I think you you seem you seem very lively to us. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um what I'm doing now, uh, I really should go back over let's say my five best books and do something about promoting them because it's like one copy in the library in South Australia, there might be one in Nevada or something. I mean, they're not out there. People don't know me. And some of them are really good, and they haven't even gone out of date. The material is still right. One of them would be fraud upon the court. 
it's a whole concept that people forget to use, but you know, people can use a fraud upon the court. And it's known as getting a writ of error quorum nobis. So, for example, when Tori Davis was about to die, I was trying to get the court in Georgia to just honor this thing called a writ of error quorum nobis, which means, like in the medieval times, the king, I mean, it's still active. In fact, once our constitution came in, and I think it was effective 1789, either that first Congress or the very next one, passed the All Writs Act, W-R-I-T, the All Writs Act, saying whatever those things were from our English heritage are just brought in wholesale. And one of those writs, everybody knows the writ of habeas corpus, but not too many people know the writ of error quorum nobis. And it just meant that you should tell the king if when he was sorting out a case on his desk, if there was an error in there that he was unaware of, and you think, and he'd done, he'd have done differently if he knew that. So you can petition to give the court that, and it's not an appeal. You don't go to a higher level. You have to go to the judge that made the mistake, and you might happen to believe that he made it deliberately and does not really want to hear from you, but still. So on that day, I, I had enough precedents I could name to try to get Troy Davis not killed. And I didn't do it till the very last minute because he had a, his sister was sort of helping everything. She was wonderful. She died shortly after he died. But at that time, Amnesty International was the lawyer. And I was just so afraid that if I wedged in in any way, this was the year 2011, <laughs> if I wedged in, I might somehow upset the, very great arrangements that the sister and Amnesty International had gone. It turns out I don't think they had any kind of arrangements. And at the moment, it was to have died like on a Wednesday, September 21, which is on the occult calendar. Of course, I'm not saying it must be. But, um, and Tamerlan Tsarnaev died on the biggest occult day, which is April 19th. Um, but when this happened in Georgia, he was from Savannah, but I think it happened at his prison in Jackson, Georgia. And the court could have stopped it, but they wrote back to me and said, we cannot accept an email signature. I mean, I'm sorry, but when somebody's about to die, you can't accept an email signature, tend to different kind of proof. And, um, and I've tried it on a few other cases. It never works, but it should work. And the reason it doesn't work is because they can get away with ignoring it, but they shouldn't. They shouldn't. No, absolutely. And you see, you see, Sam Bodistree said he's getting ready to make his 93 year old mother dinner. Good. So I heard you talk about yourself. Good. So you're a youngster compared to. <laughs> okay. We only have a only have a couple minutes left, so I want to um, give you a chance to again talk about whatever books you want to promote, whatever other stuff you want to promote, your website or whatever. Any anything you want to. The floor is yours. All right. Since nobody in USA would know this one. And they might like to add to their collection of false flags. The siege in Sydney, it, it occurred in the year 2014, I think. That's, I attended all the coroner's court and found that everything going on in court was not as you would wish it to be. And um, another one would be this cancer one. As I said, this tells you a lot about the suppression of 
cancer cures, but also a lot about vaccine and the whole fakery. Oh, God. And then I, I just mentioned that besides Pridgen and O'Day and the Cling Peaches people, but the O'Day family wrote a book called Marshmallow Fishes. And it isn't on this case of the pedophilia because it was printed several years before the arrest, but it helps you to know the, the strong characters in that family. So that's all I'm saying for the moment. And you, don't you have a website too? I forget. Oh yeah, it's called <laughs> constitutionandtruth.com. All Fancy my books are freeload. I, I don't free, free download. I don't put um, copyright on things. But from now on, I must because I think a publisher wants to make money off me. And if I'm giving it away, they wouldn't see any avenue for <laughs> that's That's the general idea. Mary Tony, if you're out there, I don't know if you want to come on and <clears throat> if you have anything to say to Mary or not. We're just about out of time. Would you come on and chat for a minute and then we'll sign off. It's seven o'clock, but um, you're always in the light, Mary. The, the, the people love you. John Lawler loves you at least, in the, especially in the chat room. So you're <laughs> okay, I say and goodbye. You're very, thank you're very you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Don. You're so brave. You, thank, you're so brave. Well, <laughs> am I brave? <laughs> brave or foolish? I'm not sure what it is, but. Uh, I'm just waiting, guys. Tony's got to play my music here. I think I can end the broadcast, but Tony, if you want me to end it, I'll just end it. I guess he might be busy with a customer or whatever, but thanks everybody out there. Thanks, Sam Bodie's Tree, White Wolf, uh, Ron Tate, Karen Carpenter. Uh, God, I want to make sure I didn't miss anybody. Of course, my friend Vince Agnelli, Chris Buckin, Chris Graves. Uh, we have early on. Early people. Uh, Deborah Wheeler, John Lawler, your admirer. Lots more. Hope I didn't forget anybody. But anyhow, thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for listening yeah. to the protest. Thank you, Mary. Bye. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks. I'll talk to you next week, everybody. Thanks for listening to the protest. Sorry.